Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here with us, whether you are watching this uh, live or you're listening to it or watching it on the archive. Uh, we are thankful that you're here. Definitely, I can tell the guys in the room, good to see you guys, and thank you all for making this a priority. And uh, we have been at this for about eight years now. Uh, and uh, and so it's a it's a, a Bible study that's foundationally part of a, a greater men's ministry uh, strategy that that uh, launched in 2020 uh, called themanchurch.com. And I've got some cool updates today uh, on what has happened uh, in the uh, two and a half years since we launched the men's discipleship strategy. It, it was kind of uh, we worked out all the kinks and we wrestled with it. Uh, at my home church when I was there for over uh, 20 years, and we worked on it about seven years uh, before we launched it, and then uh, we launched it nationally uh, on March 1, 2020, right in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. So, uh, so we we have uh, uh, we have not we don't know what it's like to to be uh, to not be in the middle of this uh, COVID thing, trying to do this. But uh, we've been through the rises and the falls of that. Uh, but with that being said, that 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 kind of leads me to the update. Uh, you can find all the details about this at themanchurch.com because I know now uh, for a lot of churches, this is that time of year where you're starting to think about the fall uh, and and maybe implementing something for the men's ministry of your church. And I'm seeing some of those orders come through. So I asked for an update from the team, uh, our little ragtag bunch that we have that travels all over the country, challenging men and then uh, working on these curriculum to to equip men. Uh, and uh, so I got a, I got a number just in the last couple of days uh, that right now there are about 443 unique church leaders that represents 443 different churches uh, that are doing uh, the 40-week curriculum. Now, we, we don't even add to this number of people that buy five weeks or people that are getting the 40-day devotionals and, and things like that. These are just churches that said, we're going in one year discipling men, and we're going to do one to the 40-week curriculum offered at themanchurch.com. But looking at how many curriculum are out there, that's about 507. So that means some of the churches have bought more than one, which means they have multiple curriculum going. So when you look at that uh, right now, uh, the average number of men in a small group doing the curriculum averages about 10. Now, we have churches that have many more than that. We have churches that have fewer than that. But we're, we're comfortable with most of the small groups. They average around 10 men uh, per group. So uh, it, it, we're sitting here now two and a half years later, uh, including a worldwide pandemic that shut down the first year as far as ga- getting together face-to-face and in these gatherings, and we have over 5,000 men a week that are in curriculum, uh, 40-week curriculum. So that that that's really exciting. So uh, thanks to all of you that have believed uh, in uh, in this effort and are trying to apply this effort. And by now, too, the, f- the feedback we're getting from all over the country, and it literally is all over the country and even into Bahamas and Canada, uh, getting the feedback uh, of these churches are saying, you know, that the men who are involved in this – that they're seeing men in studying the Word of God at a level that they've never seen before. So, uh, so this is great. And of course, some of the biggest fans of the strategy are wives uh, that are saying, I, "I now no longer have to be the spiritual leader of my home. I never want to be anyway." Uh, and so, uh, so this is great news. And your prayers and all of you that are participating in this, uh, it's exciting. And and we really see this is still only the beginning. 
uh, because it's still so new and we're still learning so much. And so uh, we have three curriculum that are available for you now. Uh, we are currently uh, planning the fourth one and coming out uh, this fall, we'll have a brand new 31 day devotional that uh, we're about halfway through now. So more resources to come, more curriculum to come. Uh, and uh, our speakers go out all over the country for these services as well. It's twofold. You have services that feature high challenge. These are services designed for men. Uh, and then uh, you have our speakers going out for that and our teachers. And then you have uh, the curriculum. Uh, that the men go into the small groups, and that's where the high equipping comes from. So high challenge, high equipping. I'll tell you about a couple of uh, man churches that are coming up. I'm excited. I'm going to Crestview, Florida. They've been doing the, the strategy, and I'll be there on August the 6th. They've done multiple man churches, and they're deep into the curriculum. And I'll be coming in and speaking to those men. I can't wait to get an update from Crestview, Florida. If you're in and around that area, join us. Uh, Rich Wingo uh, goes to Old Friendship Baptist Church in Finger, Tennessee. That's around Henderson, if you're not familiar with the little tiny community of Finger. See, you're going to hear communities that you know, but the beautiful thing is you're also going to hear communities that you might be hearing about for the first time. And 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 it, and it all has the same thing in common. They're reaching and discipling men. So uh, Rich Wingo will be there. This is the, the their second man church gathering, and Rich Wingo will be there doing that. That one's ticketed on August 12th, so they do need to know if you're coming. Uh, and you can find that at themanchurch.com under events. Uh, then I'll be going August 21st to LaGrange, Georgia. They just kicked it off. They started the curriculum, but this will be our first gathering, uh, First Baptist Church on the Square in LaGrange, Georgia. Uh, I'll be there with those men. We'll be plugging you into the small groups and really getting it rolling there, so that's exciting. Then uh, up in the beautiful uh, if you've never been to Avon, Indiana, what a beautiful place. Mark Garnett will be there on August the 26th speaking at Harmony Baptist Church. This is another one of those uh, the pastor gives me updates on how it's radically changed the church. And uh, this is um, uh, their, I think, fifth man church, and they're in the second year uh, of a second curriculum. So Mark Garnett there in Indiana, uh, just outside of Indianapolis. And then on the 28th of August, uh, Rich Wingo again He'll be at First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where he is leading uh, one of the groups and is leading the men's ministry there. And Rich will be speaking at their next gathering as they roll into the next curriculum as well. Uh, so all that is going on. There's much more, and you can find all of it at themanchurch.com under events. We also have added a new resource in the last three months, and that is something called Strive, S-T-R-I-V-E. This is an app that has all sorts of resources. You can um, you know, get daily devotionals that we update for you weekly. Uh, then you also get uh, archives of Bible studies like this one and other teachers and speakers uh, that we trust that you can listen to uh, or watch on your own time. There's articles that are there. Uh, it's just a great resource uh, for men who desire to grow spiritually. And you can get the Strive app wherever you get apps. Uh, and then, of course, you get seven days to try it for free if you like it, it's nine ninety nine a month, and again, the resources and and the the stuff that's there are updated periodically, and even on the daily devotions, updated weekly. All right, so that's kind of some things that you you might want to know. Kind of a cool update. Uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. We will be in Genesis twenty eight, Genesis twenty eight, as we continue our walk through the book of Genesis. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these men. Thank you for the men and women that are listening and watching uh, around the world. Uh, today, Lord, as we unpack uh, this, uh, this next step through the, the beginning of everything in the book of Genesis, 
Help us to glean from it the things that, that, that we need to glean. Uh, help us to grow. Uh, Lord, I'm just, uh, I just get so excited when I see faces uh, in this room that literally have been, uh, been here with, with very few exception uh, every single week for, for years now. Uh, and watching uh, the, the growth take place, Lord, is just incredible. But it's also con- confirming what you told us in John 15, that if we abide in you, the <laughs> you're so powerful that you produce much fruit in us, proving, proving that we are your disciples. May that continue today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, Genesis 28. This is a little bit of a, a transitional chapter, uh, but we're still going to dive into it and grab all the meat that we can grab. Um, if you remember when we left last week, and if you have not, if you missed last week, please go get that archive. I thought last week was one of those uh, when people asked me before they were listening to it or watching it. So how did it go? I said, for me personally, I think it, it was one of those Bible studies that had so much difficult stuff. It, it, there, the, I mean, it was it was easy. This is exactly how I described it. It was easy to understand, but tough to apply principles. But I, I didn't leave here going, well, that was so deep. I just didn't know what we were talking about. It was just so straightforward uh, and so raw and so convicting, uh, and uh, and there was a lot of it, uh, pages of it. So today uh, it's it's not as long and, and there's not as much, but, but there's still some gold here uh, and some things that we need to kind of mine as we're making kind of a transition. Uh, it, it, when we left last week, uh, we had the whole ordeal between Esau and Jacob and uh, the deception of Isaac and and coming to the realization that really Isaac was the, was the foundational problem here, uh, that he kind of created this atmosphere. Uh, and Rebecca, at the end of 27, uh, is still talking about how Esau has taken these Canaanite wives, and, and Rebecca is distraught about it. They've been nothing but trouble. They, they're causing trouble in Esau's life. They're causing trouble in the family. Uh, and uh, so you, you see her going to um, uh, to Isaac, and, and we don't know how they get resolved. I, I figured we left yet last week with a domestic situation uh, that was it was going to be that was going to be a tough house to be in for a while after what happened. But Rebecca transitions to now we got to it is what it is, but now we got to make sure that Jacob doesn't make the same mistake. And so you see in in twenty eight uh, verse one. And two, uh, it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. All right, so Isaac is now realizing Jacob was the one I was told was going to get the blessing anyway. He is the one that God said the covenant will work through. Uh, He's the name, and we'll talk about this, where all this is going to be produced. Uh, And so now I'm going to bring him over here, and I'm going to coach him a little bit about the don't make the mistake that your brother made. Uh, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Uh, arise and go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Okay, so Isaac uh, responds to Rebekah's concern from seven about what's happened with these uh, these Hittite women that Esau has married, and, uh, and, and she, she goes to, to Isaac and says, we can't let this happen again. Uh, so he, he listens to her concern uh, about, uh, about the Canaanite, uh, Canaanite daughter-in-laws and says, 
I got to get Jacob in here that he doesn't do this too. Now, you see he says he blesses him. Again, there's another blessing and instruction on marriage. Don't marry a Canaanite. Uh, Isaac gets real specific, though, about what you should do. Now, see, this is, remember this. This is what we all can learn in position of discipling and teaching, whether it be your sons, whether it be your daughters, whether it be younger men that you're working on, whatever the case may be. It's one thing to tell somebody what not to do, and that is important. But what really helps if you'll say, and here's what you should do, okay? Here, you, you, have you ever received instruction that was always just what not to do, but you didn't get a whole lot of instruction about what you should do? So then maybe you keep making a lot of mistakes because you can't quite dial in on what the opposite. I know what not to do, but I don't have a whole lot of instruction on what I should do. Well, Isaac is learning from, from some mistakes, and he says, here's what you should do. Uh, I, I'm going to be real specific that you should marry one of Laban's daughters from Rebecca's larger family. Now, remember, in this culture, uh, and, and, and things are progressing as, we'll, as we're moving forward in the creation of the world and the creation of people and God working with his people, uh, you, you see during this time that marrying a cousin was, was okay, but marry, they, they almost looked at it, if you wanted to make it less severe and you wanted it to be a little further out, marry a cousin that's on the opposite gender side of the parents uh, where they have this in common, meaning that you know it, if he could have married a cousin uh, on his daddy's side, but he's a man. For some reason, they saw it less severe if you said, I'll marry a cousin on my mama's side. I'm not a woman. She is. And they saw that as not as severe. And it was very common for this to happen uh, during this time. So, And that kind of kept the family pure, but it almost like they looked at it, but we're not getting, we're not going to get weird pure. You know, and and so uh, we'll, we'll make that move. But you can see that Isaac is telling him, let's let's keep this thing inside a very tight um, um, area of people, and do not bring any more Canaanites in this family. Your mama can't take another Canaanite daughter-in-law. Don't we're not doing this, okay? So then we get into verses three and four. God Almighty, and underline that, bless you and make you fruitful fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. Uh, may he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take the possession uh, of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So this is important. Let's, let's run through this blessing. Uh, first of all, we see that Jacob is now uh, calling for God's blessing, and he's using God's name El Shaddai here. Uh, God Almighty, okay, and uh, th- this uh, this was the name that God revealed to Abraham back in seventeen, Genesis seventeen. El Shaddai, I am God Almighty, uh, and so he goes through, kind of repeating the same blessing that God gave to Abraham, but in the last part, it's important to see where he says the land. Notice he's the land is the most important part here, because what he's saying is you realize what's about to happen. Jacob's about to be away from the land that God's going to give to the people, and he's going to be away from it for 20 years. So you you see Isaac. Isaac is saying this land has been promised to you, and we will have it. God will bring you back. He will. He you know there, there's a time when we get to the end of Jacob's life where you see that he's going to actually die in Egypt. Uh, but even then, when he's in Egypt you're going to see him clinging to the promised land that God 
promised the people. The people are going to have this land. And so this is part of the blessing uh, that Isaac is now passing on to Jacob. You know, hey, your grandfather was told about that that you're going to be fruitful. Uh, Hey, we're going to come back and we're going to possess this land. That is going to happen. And you see that now coming down from his father, Isaac. So now let's look at verse 5. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. Uh, And, of course, Jacob uh, went to Padon Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, uh, the Armenian, and the the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. So this is is important. Why? Because it it gives – Isaac's been given – has given this instruction to Jacob in great detail. And you know what you hear? Jacob did what he was told. He's going to do exactly – uh, what his dad told him to do, and also Rebecca being mentioned here is important because um, it, it's it's making sure that Rebecca's role as being the mother of the promise of our redemption uh, that she is going to to be uh, elevated and 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 she's named on purpose by Moses that we remember Rebecca's role in producing Jacob, but also Esau as well. So what is Esau's response? Esau's watching; he sees what's going on. We already know he's not happy, okay? So it says in verse 6 and 7, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram, and, and, and so he, he sees that. He, he, he sees that another blessing has taken place from Isaac, and he sees that Jacob is obeying his father by leaving the area as to go find a woman that is not a Canaanite. So Esau is watching this. Now look in 8 and 9. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, Besides the wives he already had, and then it names the the, the daughter of Ishmael, uh, which was Abraham's other son, as we know, and uh, and then who who the sister is, and and these are names I'm not sure how to pronounce, but and it, and it gets confusing anyway because when you look through Scripture, you're going to see that um, this wife is called a, a, a Basmuth or Basmuth, which if you look that that seems to be a nickname because we see that Ishmael calls uh, more than one of his wives this name uh, in other parts of Scripture, which you'll see when we get there. Uh, so they, the, the, the theologians and the people that have done commentary on this, they've almost come to the conclusion that, yeah, these are the women's real names here, but it's almost this thing we see him call them from time to time is almost like a nickname. Uh, because when they research the, the the actual meaning of these names, it, it's you remember how, you ever heard of a, a balsamic vinegar? Uh, it comes from that, and so it, it, it's a it's a fragrance. So they almost think that he's using a nickname uh, when when uh, he refers to these wives later. Because this it's not that their name was changed; they still have the same names, but he uses this nickname a lot. But what do we see Esau doing here, which is the bigger picture of why we are learning about this? So Esau hears loud and clear, no more Canaanite women. And so he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to go get me another wife, and I'm going to pick it uh, from Abraham's other son. Now see what's happening here. 
he's he's trying to find some way come to to find his way into this Abraham covenant and this blessing. He but he's going to go and he's going to work instead of being working through the proper side of things. He's going to go over here uh, where we had the, the Abraham and and uh, and Sarah trying to work a plan that was not God's plan. And he says, well, Ishmael is one of Abraham's son. He's the other son. So I tell you what, if I can't get things going on here uh, with Isaac and I can't get the blessing from my my my, my daddy, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to go to to my uncle's side of things, uh, this other son, and I'm going to work a plan over here. So as you, you see Esau, Esau is just being defiant over and over again. He's trying to find some way to work his own deal uh, when, when, when God had already said when they were still in the womb, you are not the deal. I already know that you're not worthy of this, and I know this before you were ever even born. So he, he's, he goes another route trying this Ishmael right, uh, who's, who at this point, by the way, Ishmael's been dead for about 13 years. Uh, and so um, he, this is going to be a cousin uh, from one of Ishmael's sons, and uh, so he's going to have a third wife, uh, and then it goes through the thing about uh, you know what their names were, so uh, so you see Esau's response. Now we jump back to Jacob in in ten. Uh, Jacob left uh, Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. So first of all, verse ten. This trip that Moses is telling us that Jacob is taking, it's a long way to Haran, 500 miles walking. So, so, so 500 miles. And uh, so now we, we see that, that Jacob's life now shifts to I am a pilgrim and I am walking by faith. God has placed Jacob in a position now with all the things that are going on Jacob now is going to be forced to walk by faith. Anybody ever been there? You ever been to the point where God says, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work on your faith a little bit, and we can say, look, we are faithful. Or he can say, well, let's find out how faithful you are. I love you enough that I want your faith in me to grow that I will put you in a position where you don't have any choice but to walk by faith in me. That I mean, you, you, there's no other way that you can make this happen unless I'm with you. And sometimes I, I think what we if you can get to the point where you can see those things as God loving you as, a, as opposed to God being against you, it'll serve you well. Remember how many times we talked about it here? If you can just flip to a point that says, all right, what are you teaching me right now? How, how is this growing me? How, or, hey, this test of faith that you've allowed, I, but because of you and, and only you, you'll empower me. I believe that you are allowing this test. I believe that you are sovereign, and I know that you'll see me to the other side of it, and I know because of the power that you have given to all the redeemed with you, I can pass this test without compromising you because I got you. And as we learn, if he's with you, then he's going to see it through. And, and too many times we bail because we don't like his timeline or we don't like the way he's going about it. As, as my wife said beautifully, I don't always like 
his plan, but I have never been able to argue with his success or his results. Apparently, God knows what he's doing, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And, and he sees what we can do in him. So, uh, so you see Jacob. Jacob now moves into the walking by faith, uh, and, uh, and, and, and God is about to meet with Jacob. But how about this? And this is one thing we learned too. Jacob apparently is not expecting the encounter. He's, he's, he's surprised that this happens. It goes back to the thing that I've had to talk to myself about many times. We will literally sing praises of the characteristics of God. We will sing that he's omnipotent. We will sing that he's omniscient. We will sing that he's omnipresent. And then we live like he has no idea what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, how laughable that must be. I mean, we literally will shout it and sing it and then act like it's not true. He, he, he knows everything. He, he's, not, he's, he's never not around us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't not know. You're, you're not pulling anything on God. He, he knows your heart. I mean, you think about this. Even when he was here and he was walking with us as a man, you, all these early followers that Jesus had, I love that John documents, they were with him, but he was not with them because he knew the heart of men. He knew they weren't sincere. He knew they were looking for a show. They liked signs and wonders. But he knew they were not committed to him. They were committed to the wrong version of him. They were committed to their preferred version of him. And we got to be real careful that God doesn't see that we're committed to a, vi- a version of him that isn't accurate. I'm going to say that again. Be careful that you're not committed to a version of God that isn't accurate because he has revealed himself to us. He has revealed his character to us. And, and, to, and be careful that you never get to a point where you're thinking God is doing something that isn't in his character. So, uh, so Jacob is about to learn that. So, so verses 11 and 12, um, taking uh, one of the stones, uh, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Wow. What a visual. So he lays down. Uh, he's got a stone under his head. Common practice when they were, you know, they were out there. Man, you on the road? You find anything you can prop your head up on just so you won't wake up with a crick in your neck. So he uh, he's done this. He sees the ladder. Um, and some in, uh, interpretations into our language will say a stairway. Even some will say like a hill. That something that was ascending and descending that we can see. Now he knows the angels are with him. He knows this. But he's about to find out that God is actually with him as well. And look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, Yahweh, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like, see if this sounds familiar, the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Underline that. That's a big, big statement right there. That's a prophetic statement. Underline that. 
we got it underlined. And in you and, and your offspring shall, this is the underline, all the families of the earth be blessed. That's an important statement. 15. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Does that fire anybody up? A lot going on here. First of all, and this is this is key, even on some of the stuff we were talking about. Remember this. This is important from the spiritual realm. Okay, learn this. Because I know sometimes we all get intrigued with some of this mystic stuff and this and that. Be real careful here now. You will never find, never anywhere in Scripture, that some being or some dream or something appears and it's of God, and God does not have his angels or himself identify themselves. Never. I'm going to say that again. Never. Because this is going to serve you well spiritually. You be real careful tampering with things that don't identify themselves as being of the Lord. If an angel speaks to you, the angel will tell you who he is and what he has to say and who he represents. If God speaks to you, you'll know it's God. Okay, if something is speaking to you or appears in your room or is rattling around in some closet and it does not identify itself as being of the Lord, it's not your mom all. Okay, it's not an alien. It is demons. And it should not be messed around with. Don't be careful on this signs and wonders stuff. If it if it does not if this, if this, if this is not identified, listen to the order of this. He's telling Jacob exactly who he is, and the angels of God are identifying themselves as angels of God. Nowhere in Scripture does anybody have an encounter with an angel that does not identify itself as being from the Lord. Never. So if there's no identification and you think you're encountering something, it is not of the Lord. Don't go, don't go where people conjure stuff, all that garbage. You stay away from that. You realize that when you look at that stuff, I look at it in the book of Acts, when Paul has had enough of one of these conjurers and, and calls for him to repent and says, repent, and maybe the Lord will forgive you for, for this, what you're doing. This is bad stuff, and God does not tolerate it. Look at that, even go back and look at Saul, when Saul conjured Samuel back. What did Samuel say? Hey, this was bad. You shouldn't have done this. Don't miss, by the way, the witch he was dealing with was able to do it. And what did he say? Hey, don't do You shouldn't have done this. You're in trouble. This is bad. So we don't do this kind of stuff. If the Lord decides to give you a dream, he'll identify what he's doing. There'll be clarity there. If you ever encounter an angel, if that ever takes place, the angel will tell you who he is and why he's come to see you. And I'd like to know about it too. Call me after. Okay? But you will not see any spirit doing anything that doesn't identify themselves. And if they don't, they're not of the Lord. That's real important because you can get yourself in trouble with that if you start messing around with that kind of stuff. Uh, so so we, we, we don't do that. All right, so here's what uh, here's and I, I prayed over our boy that was on the show the other day. He got talking about all this stuff 
on the show he's doing. And I enjoyed our visit, and it was entertaining. But when it was over, I said, let me tell you something, brother. If you're encountering anything out here at this ranch, and it doesn't identify itself as being of the Lord, you're dealing with demons, and you need to be you need, you need to stay away from it. And I didn't I didn't get that uh, there was a whole lot of maturity spiritually, so we prayed over him. I said, man, you 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 got to be real careful with this. And that may just be something that you're looking for that is natural and is fallen in the in the fallen creation of the world. It may be environmental, fine, but you start talking about walking Indian spirits and aliens, you better be real, real careful. Uh, here, are the, here are the promises that God makes. He tells uh, Jacob that he is going to give him the land. So you know what? That's done, right? right? When, when God says that, that's the reason why Jacob's going to need that later when he's like 20 years and I haven't been back, and he's got to re- he'll start remembering. Wait a minute. Do you do that, guys? What, anytime you're in a bind and you think all hope is lost, Remember the promises of the Lord. Do you know the promises of the Lord? Can you can you pull them out of Scripture? Can you sit down and find them? Can you just remember them? Some of us get no. We better write them down. Okay, I write down. You know what? What did I say? Adrian Rogers taught me the cheapest pen I got is better than the greatest memory, and I'm gonna remember them. Hey, I remember when the Lord said this. I know the Lord said this. If you don't remember anything else, just remember John 16, In this world, you will face tribulation. And Jesus said before that, I say this so that you'll have peace. That's important, right? I say this while you're saying this, Jesus. I'm saying this so you'll have peace. When? You're going to need it. Trust me. In this world, you will face tribulation. Not you might. Jacob's about to, he's going to go through some difficult stuff. Some of it he brought on himself, on the decisions that he made. The rest of it, God's refining him through it, okay, or some combination of all of it. He knows everything anyway, so it's, it's, it, you know, he, he knows everything. That's, he, he's never caught off guard. But he said, in this world you will have tribulation, not you might. We're in a fallen creation. We're in fallen bodies, and this is not God's final plan. You are not in heaven yet. Heaven has not come yet. The new heaven and the new earth, it is coming, but it's not here yet. So you're in a fallen creation, and you will face tribulation. Can everybody say amen to that? You're either in it, you've been in it, or you're going in it. But Jesus reminds us. You know what he's saying? Cling to the promises. When you're there, remember that I've overcome the world. And you know what you keep saying? In light of eternity, this ain't no big deal. Jesus has redeemed this. He has redeemed me. He will overcome me. He will overcome this. He's overcome my fallen flesh. He's overcome this terrible situation. He's going to redeem it. We had somebody in our uh, Sunday school class this past Sunday, and I, it's all right. She's being honest. She's new to the faith, and she said we were talking about prophecy, and she said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, the revelation scares me. And I said, not if you start at Revelation 21, it won't. And I said, Revelation, the Revelation is great news for the redeemed. Now, it is bad news for the unredeemed. But for the redeemed, I will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no more sickness. Anybody here tired of hearing about sickness? Well, Jesus said, well, yeah, that's part of the fallen creation, but, it's, but there's going to come a day all that's going to be gone. 
and I and behold, what I make things somewhat new, I make things kind of new, I make some things new. Behold, I make all things new. So this is not the way it's always going to be. So when you're in trouble and you're struggling with this fallen creation or your body is slowly dying, remember it's all been redeemed by Jesus. Amen? And what we're doing is looking back at the beginning as as God's working his way to that redemption. So he's going to give him the land, and then the next thing he says is your offspring will be numerous, and they will live in all four directions of the world. And, uh, and, And then, of course, he gives the messianic prophecy, and that's the one I told you to underline. And you know what he's saying is, is all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your offspring, and who is that going to be? Jesus. Say it loud. Jesus. We're working our way to Jesus. Hey, Jacob, your offspring will produce Messiah, and all the people of the earth will be blessed. That's a big one. And then you know the other one I love? And it really kind of gets you kind of makes your eyes sting a little bit, doesn't it? I love when God reminds us that he won't ever leave us. You ever been in a time where you were you, you just thought, man, has he left me? And he said, but I'll never leave you. I, I was reminded of, 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 of the son here. I mean, God's talking, and he's telling Jacob these things. Who does this sound like, again, as we're, as we're looking uh, ahead? Who, who, who does this sound like? When he says, Behold, look at 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until what? I have done what I promised to do. So when when will you leave me? Never. And think about Jesus when he's sending us out. That's what it sounds like to me. What does he tell tell them when he's sending them out? It's good that I go. I'll return back to where I belong, seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the baby. I'm done with the servant. I'm done with being crucified and allowing myself to, to these things, these insults to be done to me. I'm going back to glory. But it's good that I go because what I'm going to give you is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my presence And lo, I'll be with you. When you go out to make disciples and the world opposes you, think about it. He's looking ahead to right now. See, we we look at that and picture the disciples walking around. Certainly it applies to that. But let me tell you what else it applies to. When the world comes against you because of your faith, when the world comes against me because of my faith, and, and it's only getting worse. We, we have never, ain't nobody thrown us to lines or anything like that yet. They haven't skinned us alive. Nobody's being burned on the city streets yet. But I'm telling you, there's still persecution even in this country, and it's only getting worse. The world is, is being led by Satan himself, and even in the free world, guess what they're being told by the adversary? They're the problem. If you just get rid of them, nobody be telling you, that you can't just be whatever you want to be. Nobody be telling you about some standard for this and God's standard for that. None of that would be going on if they weren't here. Every, every dictatorship that has ever existed eventually gets to the church. Why? Because they know deep down we declare allegiance to one king. 
We don't declare allegiance. Now, we'll be good citizens as long as you don't ask us to blaspheme God. But deep down, the tyrannical people and leaders know their loyalty isn't with me. Their loyalty is to God. And that's why they always eventually get to the church. They have to. And you know what Jesus says? But I'm there too. I'll be there. Hey, hey when, when, when family members won't speak to you anymore, I'm there. You may not be thrown to the lines, but you may have somebody not want anything to do with you. Right? When, when you're at the job and, and everybody goes out to lunch, but you don't get to go, I'm there. When nobody really wants to be around you, I'm there. When you went and you were trying to work with someone and all you did was love them and you were trying to point them to Jesus and you found out that they're living a completely different life and they really think you're an idiot and they just tell you what you want to hear and they go off and do everything they want to do. He says, that, so they didn't really believe what I said. They, they were patronizing me. They, they were, Rick, but I'm here. They patronize me too. So, so he's never not with us. And you gotta, you got to hang on to that. He didn't say, I'm sometimes with you. I'm always with you. And then, you know, Paul tries to remind us in Romans 8, remember that? So if he's with you, if, if he's with you, then who can oppose you? And see, now that'll help you walk by faith with a little more, a little more kick, won't it? To know that you're not walking alone. And God makes this extremely clear to Jacob. This is kind of cool what Jacob says next. 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now look at 17. And he was afraid. You don't ever find anybody in Scripture that truly encounters God that the first reaction isn't, I'm afraid. I'm in awe. I repent. I mean, just think about even Peter. When Jesus tells the weather what to do and it listens, and all his life he's been taught in the Psalms that God tells the weather what to do, he's known that his whole life. And all of a sudden there's a guy with him that he thinks is here to overthrow the Romans, and all of a sudden he tells the weather what to do and the weather listens. And, and Peter's first reaction wasn't, hey, man, that's really cool. You know what his first reaction was? I'm a sinful man. Job, before I heard of you, now I see you, and I despise myself. I repent in ashes and dust. You see this throughout Scripture. When people encounter God, the first reaction is a good, healthy fear and a realization of how sinful we really are. You know what Jacob said? I was afraid. What does Scripture tell us about that in, in Proverbs 1-7? That's a good thing. All wisdom begins with the fear of God. Anyone who doesn't fear God lacks wisdom. They may even have intelligence, but they don't have wisdom. And they certainly are not a reliable source. So Jacob seems to be caught off guard by the presence of the Lord in the place and, 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 and he knows now, he's been told by God that he's going to be with him. Jacob at the time has no idea. We're talking about 20 years before he ever gets back to the land. But he, is, he has been told 
that God is always with him, and he says he was afraid. And God reveals himself to Jacob. And Jacob knows that it's a blessing. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? I have a brother in Christ that that has said this to me mildly, and I'm trying to listen to him, and he's not being legalistic or a stuffed shirt. He says, I wish we wouldn't use the word awesome so much. It's really only reserved for God. I hate that that's become part of the vernacular that we just throw around, that fried chicken was awesome. Or, you know, the ball game was awesome. Really, the only thing that is awesome is God. And Jacob says that. And look, I've been guilty of throwing awesome around, too. I'm not being sanctimonious with that. But I would like for us to think about it, because I've been thinking about it. So he says, uh, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and, and this is the gate of heaven. God reveals himself when he does it. It's important. When God reveals himself, it's a blessing. When you try to force his hand, it's a curse. You don't demand that God do anything. Now, I know there's some bad theology out there of people who seem to teach us that we tell God what to do and he does it. I'd be real careful with that theology. God reveals himself when he does it. He doesn't really, we don't order him around like he's a genie that we rubbed a lamp and he came out of. And if you don't believe that, uh, um, you can um, you can find Scripture. Uh, do you, anybody remember Genesis 4, verses 1 through 9? Nimrod in the bunch. The Tower of Babel. They're going to decide. They're going to go to God. They're going to build. They're, they're going to find their way. They try to create the gate to heaven. But what did God say? Curse on that attempt. But here, he says, I'll reveal the gate. Here's a gate. Here's a stairway. Here's a ladder. But who revealed it? God did. Jacob didn't try to force his hand on that. Jacob's surprised it happened. But he said, I will decide when this happens. And when I do it, it's a blessing. But when you try to force me to do something, you try to make something happen, be real careful with that. Now, do you want to say uh, that you pray and you beg and you pray the way our Lord and Savior told us to pray? And then at the end we say what? Thy will be done. Your will be done. We never say to God, my will be done. He, by the way, he, he didn't respond too good to that. He's not real big on being ordered around by the created. And he certainly does not singing songs of worship to you. Be real careful with that too. He's not reckless. He's not going to cancel heaven if one of us isn't there. This is all bad theology. And, and, and really these things should not be sung. And, and thankfully, we do have some worship leaders out there, and I have one at the church. I'm, if he sees something in a hymn that is not theologically sound, but the rest of the hymn is, he'll just take out the lines that aren't, and we don't sing them. Um, that's a better way to go because um, he does not worship us, and we don't make him any better. We worship him because he alone is worthy of our worship. So Jacob um, uh, makes the next move here in 18 and 19. So early in the morning, 
Jacob took uh, the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of the place Bethel, uh, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Now let me explain that a little bit. First of all, Jacob putting oil on the stone, this is an act of worship, and guess who he learned this from? Abraham. Remember, we saw this throughout Abraham. If some, When God revealed himself or there'd be a, a something that was of importance, he would build an altar. And so here is Isaac learning that. Now here's Jacob learning that. Let me ask you this. Are your children and grandchildren learning to worship the Lord appropriately through you? I mean, do, do they watch your example and say, I will do that the way granddaddy did, the way daddy did, because he's taught me how to do it? Or are they just making up a way to worship because they've never seen you do it. Well, we see here, daddy to, to son to grandson, here that here he Jacob knows after having this dream and having this encounter with God, he knows this place is holy and he knows he's gonna make an altar to it and he knows he's gonna worship. He gets the oil out, and what he does is he takes that stone where that he was sleeping on and uh, and he consecrates it and um and and this is you know any anywhere God has appeared, uh, we we'll also see, also see later that God will command him to build an altar right here. God will come back to this place and say build an altar right here when we get to chapter thirty five. So you see Jacob saying I'm going to go ahead and consecrate this stone and this place, and then God said we'll come back here and do a full blown altar. So you're doing right. This should be consecrated to me, and he learned that from his father and from his grandfather. And um, so as far as the uh, verse 9, Bethel means house of God, uh, and it was just called uh, uh, L-U-Z before that. But Jacob is changing the name to house of God. Now let's look at verses 20 uh, through 22. 20 through 22. So Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and all and of all that you give me, I will give full, a full tenth to you. So what's happening here? Now now remember this a vow. Uh, and a promise, this is not playing games with God. The only way that when you make a vow that it's not blasphemous, this don't misread this, I'll do this and you'll do that. I'll do this. That's not what this is. What you're seeing here, and this is important for us to know this, what you're seeing is devotion. You're seeing Jacob saying, I promise to be devout to you. Okay, it, it's a response of gratitude. You have appeared to me. You said you would be with me. I know you're going to take care of me. I'm acknowledging that I know that I agree that's going to happen, and my response to you is going to be gratitude. Promise number one. He says, God, if God's going to see me through, so I pledge to worship Yahweh. I will not. I will not have him sharing my worship. I will be devoted to him and to him alone. He alone will be worthy of my worship. Can we make that can we make that promise? Second, he says, I will make this place God's house. Have we done that with our own homes? This this is where God dwells. 
I will, I will not, it will not be devoted to anything else other than God. This will be God's house. And you'll see this um, in chapter 35. We'll actually come back to this place. And he says, I will give a tenth of my wealth to the Lord. I will do it. Are you, are you withholding from God? Now, we can get into the whole new covenant and whether the, the actual tenth is more of a limit, a bare minimum. Some people treat the tenth as that's all I give. But you do see being established here at this time in biblical history that the tenth is going to be given to the Lord. And, um, and, and, and what this is showing is I will be obedient and I will do this. And we have to ask ourselves, do we bring in a gift to give to the Lord of, 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 of financial status? Whatever, whatever we'll get, we'll, we won't get into the whether it's a literal tenth or whether this still stands. Uh, you know, if you look to the New Testament, you, you, there's pretty good uh, indication that the tenth is just a minimum. You know, you, you sacrificially give whatever that looks like in your life. But here, the, the tenth is being established, and the question is, let's just stay with that. Do you, do you, take, do you, do you have that kind of devotion that you say, before I do anything else, here is what is set aside for the advancement of the kingdom of God through obedience? Or do you say, I'll give whatever I can scrap up after I've done everything else I need to do? I don't know the answer to that. I've done it both ways <laughs> throughout my life of trying to figure this out. I have found that being obedient usually helps me sleep better at night. Does, uh, and I'm not expecting anything in return but the fact that I'm just being obedient because I'm grateful that he redeemed me. I, I will tell you this, I've never had a day that I didn't have something to eat. And Jesus told me I should never worry about that. I've had times I didn't know how it was all going to get done, but I've never gone hungry. And um, and and I will say that um, uh, that you, when you get to that point and you think, well, sometimes it's easier to give. Well, it, that's really irrelevant. I think the time that you really find out where you are is when it's not so easy. The widow's might remember Jesus made a much bigger deal out of that, even though other people were giving a lot more money than she had. He said, but hers is more sacrificial, and she don't miss. She gave what she had. So then God has shown Jacob that. The scheming that he don't miss this. God is teaching Jacob. Look, this scheme that you and your mama came up with that was never necessary. That that that, that was not necessary. That was a lack of faith on your part, and your mama's part. I'm going to be with you, and this was my plan before you were ever born, and I'm going to finish it. That, remember what we said, and I had more people respond to that. When we're talking about faith, faith does not require schemes. It's God said it's going to be done, so it's going to be done. Okay? And he's going to finish it. We will see that at times we seek the right things, and, and, but, but we have to be very careful because our sin nature says even if I want to do the right thing, many times the sin nature tries to achieve it the wrong way. Well, isn't this what God wanted me to do? Yeah, but he didn't want you to accomplish it that way. What would you cut this corner for? Well, I've been, I've been, remember, God will never call you to sin to be in his perfect will. Now, you may decide to sin and then him get you back to where he wants you to go because he's, he's gracious and, and, he, and he knows us before we were ever even born. 
and he knows the decisions that we make. But we can't try to do it the wrong way. God shows Jacob what uh, what's going on, and he doesn't even realize that God is with him. How about this? We are always completely dependent on him, whether you believe that or not, whether I believe that or not. Here's Jacob. He's out there going, I got to do this, I got to do that, and he's shocked to find out that God's with him. But what has God said before he was ever born? I'll be with him. And this is how I'm going to work to redemption. And Jacob seems surprised that God is in the plan. He's sitting there thinking, my mom and I really had to pull off a good one here. And God is saying, by the way, that wasn't necessary. I had this. So Jacob was forgiven for his sins and for deceiving his father. But, as we will see in a moment, as we go through his life, I know some of you are already saying, I know what he's going to say next. We will see, though, even though God has forgiven him and is going to work his plan like he had intended it, the way that Jacob and his mama went about it, it will cause some earthy repercussions. Jacob's going to get taught a little lesson about what it's like to be schemed. Why? Because sin always matters. And God's going to be sure that he learns the lesson not to go down that road again. Has God ever taught you about through earthly consequences that got you to the point you say, well, I'll tell you what, I won't do that again. <laughs> Look at all the heads there. Absolutely. And you know what? Don't you wish you'd just done it right the first time? Right. I mean, <laughs> God's just like, I don't, I don't know why we have to have to be here. But as, as, as we have learned, hopefully, with our children, and as the writer of Hebrews tells us, he disciplines those that he loves just as maybe your daddy might have disciplined you, and at the time it wasn't pleasant. But what you benefit from and how it benefited you, it was a good thing. And God loves you enough and loves me enough to discipline us. But he's doing it to bring glory to himself and to refine us into something that he's more comfortable with and can trust. Can he trust you? Do you believe that what he said about you is correct? Do you believe that Jesus makes you fully righteous? Do you believe that he's called you to do something that only he will empower you to do? But he will empower you to do it. Rick, I'm not comfortable making disciples. Okay, he is. He's got no problem with it at all. It's not a reach for him. Did he tell you to go make disciples? He did. Well, then I would. He'll do it. He'll he'll do what he said he has called you to do. He'll do it. He provides the power for us to do what he's called us to do. Let me let you on this right now. It's not dependent on you. Thank the Lord. It's not dependent on me. Do you have that kind of faith? A faith that God can trust? Or do you think you have to come up with some kind of scheme to get it accomplished? Trust in him. It's already done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for um, this important lesson that we learned today. May we apply it to our lives. May you be with us, Lord. 
continue to refine us into things that only you can do. And may you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.